step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Caregiver and Physician Conversations, sponsored by eCareDiary.com. I'm your host, Marjorie Papp. Today, I am joined by Dr. Barry Jacobs, whose book, The Emotional Survival Guide for Caregivers, Looking After Yourself and Your Family While Helping an Aging Parent, is absolutely appropriate for this month, National Caregivers Month. This book chronicles the emotional ups and downs of caregiving while providing very specific tools and strategies for surviving and thriving in your caregiver role. I'm also delighted that Dr. Jacobs um, has an article on my website this month. My website is mycaregivingcoach.com. If you go to the home page, you can click on his article. I was delighted to have him as as a guest contributor. Today, our topic is managing sibling relationships, an issue I hear very often as central to caregiver frustration and stress. Welcome, Dr. Barry Jacobs. Thank you very much, Margie. It's it's really a pleasure to be here. Great. Um, You know, caregiving has certainly uh, evolved over the past few years. And, um, you know, in the last, oh, say, eight to ten years, it's uh, really, if you say, if you will, come into its own. what, what are your observations about uh, caregiving and the evolution of awareness around caregiving? I, I first started uh, giving talks about family caregiving over 20 years ago, and at that time the word family caregiver wasn't in, even in common, common parlance. Uh, people would talk about caretakers or they would just define themselves as a, a son or a daughter. Uh, it, it was really the last uh, 15 to 20 years that there's been a lot of efforts nationally to, to establish the term so that when people could then identify themselves with that term, they, 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 can, they could then access services that, that are, uh, exist in the community for family caregivers. Uh, and that's the other big change. Uh, since the year 2000, when there was the revision of the Older Americans Act, uh, and the, the, there was the start of the National Family Caregiver Support Program through the local area agencies on aging, uh, there uh, is, is much more in the way of, of family caregiver support in most communities in this country, and that includes available uh, support groups, home health aides, adult daycare programs, uh, just just a you know a wealth of resources that that exists through through churches, hospitals, uh, AAAs, as I mentioned. And I think just as a culture, we're, we're just much more conversant with, with family caregiving and, and its challenges. Uh, some of this has to do with the fact that our population is aging, and uh, more people my age, I'm in my mid-50s, uh, more people my age are, are caring for aging parents and, and talking with one another about um, uh, how difficult it may be, but also what we can do to help one another. Yes, absolutely. And I'd like to also share with our audience that 
um, Dr. Jacobs, is a clinical psychologist, a family therapist, and uh, certainly an author. As a clinician, he helps families cope with serious and chronic medical illness. Um, and uh, he's an educator working at the director as a director of behavioral sciences for the Crozer Keystone Family Medicine Residency Program in Springfield, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, and he is a national spokesperson on family caregiving for the American Heart Association and a member of the AARP Caregivers Advisory Panel. So if you've heard his name before, this is why. He's a very prominent individual in the area of caregiving. Um, and uh, Dr. Jacobs, I know you also maintain a website, uh, www.emotionalsurvivalguide.com, which we'll mention again at the end of this interview um, for those of you who would like to check in and find out more about Dr. Jacobs and um, his tips and tools. So um, I guess my uh, early question here is, uh, what needs do caregivers tend to have in the early days of caregiving? And what can physicians and their teams do in the early days to assist those needs? Most, I think the, the biggest need early on is for caregivers to identify themselves as such. Uh, lots of times people uh, become involved in caring for a, a parent or a disabled spouse. Uh, sometimes uh, those loved ones have had a sudden medical event. Oftentimes they've had more of a slow progressive event, a progressive condition which has developed over time. Uh, and so family members step up and they're, they're providing care for, for the people they love uh, and they, they don't really identify themselves as, as caregivers per se uh, and consequently don't, uh, don't look into caregiver support services that might help them in the work that they're doing. So identification uh, is, is, is essential. And then I think secondly for, for folks to begin to understand the lay of the land here, uh, to, to understand what what the specific uh, condition or illness is that, that their loved one has, to understand the, the, the likely course of that illness over time so that the caregivers can, can begin to think ahead in the future in terms of, of, of their loved one's changing needs. And then, how, and then just some, some understanding of, of how caregiving works. Uh, the caregiving, uh, as I always say, is not a sprint, it's a marathon, uh, and people need to, to learn uh, how to pace themselves uh, in, a, in a way that's sustainable so that they can, they can do this work over time from start to finish if, if in fact, that's what they choose to do. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a lot of kind of basic orientation at the beginning to figure out this new role that they're in uh, and, and what the challenges are ahead of them. Um, in terms of the, the role that physicians and other professionals can play with them, I, I think that, that education and orientation is essential. And I, I think, uh, you know, the emphasis early on on self-care and self-replenishment for, for people uh, like those who are running a marathon to take in uh, whatever support, whatever replenishment exists uh, in order to, to help them uh, sustain themselves over the course. Uh, what un unfortunately happens with many caregivers is they uh, th they begin getting into this work and they do not want help from other people because they feel that this is something, something that they should do on their own. Uh, and so they, they reject help that's offered and they don't reach out for, for, for help that may be available uh, until they get into trouble, until they, they're starting to feel really tuckered out. And uh, at that point, it's very difficult uh, to, to put water back in the well. 
Um, so physicians and others can help people with this idea of pacing, of, of, of using the supports that exist to, to, to support themselves uh, over time and so that they uh, and to take a long view on, on uh, uh, the challenge that they've taken upon themselves. Yes. You know, you're, you're um, identifying this issue of identifying yourself as a caregiver. It's, it's fascinating to me. As I see friends... Um, and loved ones as well, who um, are now beginning to take care of someone. And I'll say something along the lines of to them, oh, you know, you're a caregiver now. And they'll say, oh, 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 no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not a caregiver. And so this issue of self-identification, what does one do if, uh, if someone says, oh, I'm just simply you know, making meals or taking this person to the doctor. I'm not a caregiver. Um, what what does one do when faced with that, especially somebody who's a friend of a new caregiver? I, I would talk with that friend about uh, how it's wonderful that they're, they're doing what they're doing for their loved one, and in, in order to enable them to do more of it over time, we have to figure out uh, how, to, how to help them do it in as smart and as strategic a way as possible. And whether we call that uh, caregiving or not, um, we still want to draw on what services exist that, that exist in their community uh, to, to help them do that work. Uh, and as a friend, we also want to offer, you know, lend them a helping hand if we can uh, with the work that they're doing. You know, oftentimes, uh, you know, people are very humble, and and they also believe that that families should take care of themselves, and, and that to to accept, you know, quote unquote handouts from others is somehow shameful. Uh, and instead, what I what I'm what I recommend friends do is to to really. Uh, Praise people for the work that they're doing, but but also to to caution them that this is this is work that that demands uh, a, a long view, uh, and and as I said before, that that pacing to to in order to make it from start to finish over the course. Yes, exactly, exactly. Well, uh, thank you for that. It is one of those hurdles. I can remember when I finally identified myself as a caregiver, and it was it really was a day that emotionally I felt a lot better after I decided that, in fact, I was one. And so for those of you listening out there who also have friends that are caregivers, um, helping other people uh, realize that long view that um, Dr. Jacobs is talking about is so important. Well, let's turn to sibling relationships. It is a real problem, a thorn. It's a, it's a tough nut. And... Um, why let's just begin simply with a question of well why are sibling relationships so key to family caregiving well sibling relationships are coming up in the, in the context of caring for an aging parent or uh, and uh they're, they're key because uh caring for a, a parent uh a parent who may be having parkinson's disease or or alzheimer's disease or just very severe arthritis uh, that these are again, these are not short-term situations. These are these are situations which require uh, ongoing care, usually for months and years. And so, for the, for that, for the bulk of that care to, to fall on one person's shoulders means that 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 one person is at very high risk for burning out. And so, it's it's very important in these situations to, to develop a, a caregiving team, and that team usually consists of of the adult children. Uh, the challenge here is that many of these adult children uh, have really not worked together, uh, perhaps ever, but but certainly not in, in many years, perhaps decades. Uh, they 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 grew up. They they may have kept in in 
contact with one another, maybe even had good relations, but they, they're living in different parts of the country or even if they're living in the same community, they, they, they haven't had to pull together uh, in a concerted way in order to, to help a parent before uh, or for, for, for any project for that matter. Um, so, uh, you know, you have people uh, who have a history, uh, and that history hopefully is a good history, but it's, but it's a history which, which has a hierarchy depending, that's depending on birth order. Uh, it may be, may, there may be gender issues that, uh, you know, girls in the family may have been socialized to, to, to approach uh, care, you know, giving care one way and, the, and the, the boys in another way. And so all these some things come to the fore. Uh, when it, when it, uh, a, a parent uh, gets older and, and needs more help, and then this group of people has to learn how to work together uh, in a way, uh, uh, in, in an effective way for the parent's sake, and, and uh, most most of them don't have the, the vocabulary to even begin talking about it with one another. Yes. Um, well, what 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 does a a good sibling relationship look like, and what does a bad one look like? I, I think a good sibling relationship. Uh, is one in which uh, the siblings feel like they have each other's back. That it, it doesn't necessarily mean that each of the siblings are going to do exactly the same uh, amount of care, uh, because in, in reality that that almost never happens. The, the, the bulk of the care almost always falls on on one one of the the, the children's shoulders. But uh, for all the siblings to feel that they're contributing in some form or fashion and for all siblings to feel that, that, that the others are there to support them and, and that to, to, to commiserate with them if need be, but that for them to stand shoulder to shoulder, uh, is, is, you know, that, that is a, provides the kind of support that, that helps sustain people over time. A bad sibling relationship um, uh, is is one in which uh, uh, the other siblings simply don't care. Uh, they say things like, uh, "I've never had a good relationship with Dad. I, I don't want to step up and help them now. Uh, therefore, I don't want to help you in 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 your efforts to help Dad." Uh, where siblings uh, are, are extremely critical of one another, uh, where there's a lot of blaming. Uh, and uh, where siblings, uh, unfortunately, rather than pulling together, they're, they're pulling in different directions, and uh, the, the conflict is is exacerbating the stress that everybody's feeling. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, in my experience as, as a psychologist, um, I, I see all too often uh, that th- these adult, you know, these relationships among adult children are characterized by you know, pulling apart, criticism, hurt feelings, uh, anger, you know, recrimination. Uh, and and that that makes the caregiving so much harder over time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, if uh, there's someone out there listening today who is the primary caregiver and has siblings who are in various stages of uh, not wanting to get along, what are some successful uh, tools that you've seen caregivers employ that helped rally? Even their siblings who were not wanting to uh, go along with everyone. What might be some techniques that you've seen used? Sure. So, for the caregiving uh, caregiver, uh, you know, the primary caregiver, uh, in reaching out to, to siblings for help, I, I would not. I would first my my advice first of all would be for not for them to say, please help out for dad's sake. But instead to say, please help out for my sake, because mm-hmm. I need I need the help, uh, and to personalize it in that way. And I would even go further, uh, and, and to make it clear that um, if the sibling steps up and steps up and helps, 
then the caregiver will be eternally grateful for them, and that will in fact improve their relationship. But by the same token, if the if the sibling decides not to help, uh, you know, turns their back on the situation, then that is, is going to have a negative impact long term on 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 the relationship between those two siblings. Uh, so I, I, I mean, I really do think that the choices that people make at these times uh, matter uh, long after the, the parent has died. Uh, that that people remember who is there uh, for one another uh, in in the in the hour of need, uh, and so I, I I would I I want everybody to to be put on notice that the stakes are high here, and that uh, that everyone is observing the choices that everyone else in, in the family is making. So that that's that's one uh, you know one step. The the other step is I I think that there needs to be uh, ongoing communication about uh, what the the the, the parents condition is and, w- and what the parents' needs are, uh, and, and that means uh, for the caregiving s- uh, child to, to set up uh, a uh, some sort of communication system, maybe an email system where uh, every one of the siblings uh, in, in the group uh, is, is getting the same medical information, the same insurance information, that everybody is, is kind of on, on an equal footing in, in terms of, in terms of the, the, the information they have to, to, to work with. Uh, in the hopes that people will come to a, a common view of, of of what the parent is going through and, and what the caregiving demands are, um, oftentimes one of the biggest barriers to pulling siblings together is that within any given sibling group, there there are some people who will say, "Yes, Dad has dementia," and then there are other people who will say, "Well, Dad was always forgetful; he doesn't have dementia." And then there's there's conflict among siblings just about what's going on. Uh, so by through, through the sharing information, the idea is to to develop greater consensus, and that it's it's, it's on it's on the basis of that consensus that that uh, some sort of caregiving plan can can be developed. And and then finally, I, I think it's very important for the, the caregiving uh, child, uh, the, the the primary caregiver, to 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 have ongoing meetings, not not just provide information, but to actually have meetings uh, either. Uh, uh, in person or, uh, you know, via some sort of conference call where uh, the siblings are talking together about what, what's happening and, and, and talking about the parents' needs, but also talking about their own respective life situations uh, and trying to find ways of of, uh, of seeing who's willing and available and, and, and cobbling together some kind of plan that everyone agrees, agrees on uh, and that everybody appreciates the contribution that, that the other person is making. Uh, and that this is a this is a process that should be uh, repeated uh, every three months, in my opinion. Sometimes this is a process that's that's uh, greatly aided by having an outside facilitator, uh, a, a, a pastor, a uh, mental health professional, a trusted family friend, somebody who who could come in and and, uh, and and facilitate or even referee if need be. Uh, but to try to to try to foster communication among these siblings. Uh, because, as I said before, th- these are folks who haven't talked in this kind of serious way and try to pull together in in uh, in, in, in in a concerted fashion, uh, maybe ever before. That's all very good points. Uh, with respect to the meeting, would you say that numbers make a difference? So, for example, if there are more than, say, four siblings, let's just say, pull that out of the hat. Is a facilitator a better thing as the numbers of a family grow? I think or so. Or not an issue? Yeah. Well, no. I I think that the the, the larger the sibling group, the, the the more helpful it would be to have a a facilitator just to kind of keep everybody on track, uh, to to keep the number of, of digressions to a minimum, to uh, 
to, to give her, make sure everybody has had uh, an opportunity to express themselves. Uh, because as, as, as you're suggesting, the larger the group, um, the, you know, the, often the more chaos in the room. Mm-hmm. So to have somebody there to to to, to ensure that the, the conversation uh, flows smoothly and, and that at the end everyone is reasonably satisfied that that, that they've been heard and, and with the result that, that that that's been arrived at. Yeah, and I'm sure it's it, the most important thing is that everybody gets heard, even though everybody thinks Uncle Harry or so and so is dysfunctional. That Uncle Harry still gets to have his say at this family meeting. Uh, absolutely. I mean, every you know, every everybody who comes to a family me- meeting, I assume, has some sort of uh, you know vested interest in the 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 parents' well-being. That everybody just by by dint of the fact that they come to the meeting uh, and participate means that they care, and that they they consequently deserve to be able to voice their opinion. Uh, you, you know, even if their opinion is not uh, you know that of the consensus. Um, and even if they may not have uh, have been intimately involved with with the, the parent for for some time, uh, everyone has the right to to share uh, their their thoughts about what would be best. Uh, and then the group as a whole has to has to weigh all, all those uh, those thoughts and recommendations in, in, in pulling together a plan. Um, I've seen it as a very effective tool if, in fact, um, the parent or loved one who is ill. If that person speaks, can speak up and say what they want, that's often a very effective tiebreaker. In other words, you know, you see siblings and, and, and the primary caregiver arguing about, well, what is it we need to do for mother? Well, if mother says, look, this is what I want, it's a very effective way to end some of that chaos in a family meeting. I, I think if the parent is... Uh you know, willing and able and, and competent, then, then I think it's wonderful to have them there at the meeting. I mean, uh, uh, yes, as you say, that that parent can be a tiebreaker in the event of some disagreement among the siblings. Uh, oftentimes, uh, in, in the instance where a parent has dementia, uh, it's not possible to have the parent involved right. in the discussion. Uh, but I, th- I think if the parent is able, by all means, uh, invite him or her to, to the meeting. Yes, yes. Um, great. And um, what about, you know, sometimes these family meetings also are about not only patient care, but they're about uh, legal issues, or financial issues. What do you recommend to families? That they have separate meetings about issues like that, uh, you know, do, apart from uh, the issues around patient care? Do, do, would, do, would you recommend that each meeting have a specific purpose? I think it's pretty hard to pull people together, uh, even on a quarterly basis, because uh, every all of us live such busy lives. And I, and I think it's very difficult to separate the uh, financial issues from the care issues, the, the medical decision making, uh, etc. And so, I, 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 what I have seen is all these issues tend to get lumped together and have to get sorted out in the same meeting. Um, and so, uh, in, in instances where uh, Siblings are only focused on, you know, the care, you know, just just the logistics of care. Who's going to drive dad to physical therapy, and who's going to pick up his medicine, and you know, who's going to tuck him in at night? Um, that that may not take into account, uh, you know, where the money is and who's paying for this, and uh, and that that has to be discussed. That that that's an issue that has to be put on the table because uh, 
it's, it's, it's an issue that uh, may really shape the caregiving as it goes forward, and, and it's also an issue that most of the siblings are thinking about in one way or another anyhow. Uh, so uh, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't divide the meetings up into a financial meeting and a legal meeting or in a, in a you know care logistics meeting. I think it's all intertwined. Great. Okay. And I, I want to go back to an answer you gave us earlier about what primary caregivers can do. I thought it was so it was so resonant with me as I was listening to you that it's so important that people realize that the choices are critical that they're making at this moment at this point in their family history. Um, and that is so true. And I'm wondering how, I wonder, is it, should the primary caregiver um, make that point? Should they uh, bring out maybe family scrapbooks? I don't know. How, how can a family caregiver put a positive twist on the fact that what's happening at meetings, what's happening during this critical point in their family, are, are it's really important as to how they move forward and the kind of memories, either positive or negative, that they make. I, I you know, speaking as a psychologist again, uh, it's easy for me to, to say to a family as a as a kind of outside observer that you know what you do now, the kind of choices you make, and how you treat one another will will be remembered forever after. Uh, it's, it's a little more difficult for a primary caregiver to say it, but I, I, I think the point that needs to be made is that uh, in, the li- in the histories of families, in the lives of family members, uh, people remember sp- certain incidents better than others. You know, people remember who was at the wedding and who wasn't there, you know, who came to the funeral, who, who wasn't, who didn't come, uh, and people remember uh, who was there during during this tough challenge of caring for an aging parent and, and, and who simply, you know, sat on the sidelines. Uh, and so for the primary caregiver to say, you know, th- that this is a tough time in the life of her family and, um, uh, you know, whether, if you can step up and help, this is going to matter tremendously and, and really uh, that, 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 you know, afterglow will, will last for many years. Um, and so I, I, you know, to somehow underscore just how important that this time is in the life of the family, uh, it, it, you know, puts everybody on notice that, that uh, they, they are being observed and uh, their decisions are, are being uh, either you know, praised or, or uh, in some cases, denounced. Yes, yes. Um, and maybe even as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, if I were in the midst of something like this, maybe pulling out some family photos of times that were happier. Um and to remind people that you know we are we have a strong family, and at its core, it's a happy family. I, I think that's a great idea. I, I think what also often happens is is that people think back to when they were kids, and their and their parents were taking care of the grandparent generation, and what it was like for their grandparents for their parents to to be the caregivers at, at that time. And now it's you know twenty or thirty years later, and the, the shoe is on the other foot, and 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 the the, the uh, you know this this you know middle aged generation is now taking care of their aging parents, and uh, they have the lessons from what came before, but but the world is also a different place, and circumstances may be very different, and so they have to 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 reinvent this, but but people often make reference to to what it was like to take care of grandma when she had to go to the nursing home years ago. 
Um, so that, you know, there there are within every family there there are family legacies of, of caregiving that uh, families can draw upon. Right, right. Well, that's all of those things are really really important, and um, I I really love your tips about um, reaching out for help and saying help for my sake. I mean, what an important distinction uh, to make. Help for my sake as a caregiver. Um, to have meetings and to organize those meetings. I would even say call them, call meetings enough ahead of time so it's more possible that everyone can make that meeting, either on the phone or in person. And then this whole issue of ongoing communications and finding a system for doing that. I, I have to add that uh, the sponsor of this show, eCareDiary.com, actually one of the things they do online is they do have a system for people tracking medications and changes in treatment for loved ones. So that's something our listeners may be aware of, but if you're not, uh, please check into that. Um, what haven't I asked about sibling relationships that you, you think I might should have should have asked in our moments remaining here, Doctor? Well, well Margie, what I would say is that in my book, The Emotional Survival Guide for Caregivers, I tell a fictional story of two sisters in their 50s who are caring for their uh, mother, 80-year-old mother who has metastatic cancer. But what what, what I try to bring out in the book is that every uh, child in the family, every adult child, has has its own has her own personality and her own talents, and that they're not identical. And so, the caregiving plan has to take into account what what each person can bring to to the to the effort. Uh, and so, uh, hopefully siblings' talents and personalities complement one, one another. Uh, and, and that way, uh, you know, the team works uh, in a more seamless way. Um, uh, and that, I, I think, uh, is, is, you know, when, when people have had that experience, at the end of the day, it really does make for, for, for better sibling relationships than they have ever existed before. Uh, and then people look back and say, you know, we did this together, and, and I'm really glad that I had you working with me side by side. Oh, that's a wonderful story, and uh, to find the complementary things in personalities. I love that. That's great. Um, we can find your book on your website. I know that. Um, and it's, again, the survival... The, the, the Emotional guide. Survival Guide for Caregivers Looking After uh, an Aging Parent and Your Family. Well, uh, whoops, I'm, I'm, I'm blowing the title of my own book. We'll just say The Emotional Survival <laughs> Guide for Caregivers, and it's, you can find it on Amazon.com. Okay, that's just wonderful. Thanks again so much, Dr. Barry Jacobs. Um, whenever you come on the show, it's a delight, and you always give us such great things to think about. Take uh, care. Take care to our viewers, or our listeners, I should say, and we appreciate your joining us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.